Thursday night edition of the Dunk Time Basketball Podcast. Got a little news to get to. Then we got to talk about a very intriguing offseason for the Denver Nuggets, a team with a ton of assets and a ton of space and a pretty damn good team. Uh, when you got Nikola Jokic making the minimum for next year, that helps matters. And then we also want to talk about Lowry Markinen, the Arizona power forward prospect, one of the best shooting seven footers that has uh, ever played in the NCAA. Let's break right into some news to start with here. Most intriguingly, we had talked about Travis Schlenk and his status as kind of the skeptic in the room with the Warriors. Jerry West, the other one of those guys, both of them are going to be gone now. We'll see if that actually affects anything. Probably not because, you know, they have four all-stars but schlank it seemed like hawks owner tony wrestler's comments that they would do whatever it took to re-sign Millsap did not really fit with that skeptical uh, approach that schlank brings because re-signing Millsap for a team that really you know was first round playoff fodder to a huge max deal didn't make much sense and then schlank had some interesting comments today to chris vivlemore of the atlanta journal constitution yeah i mean the I, I found the the wording interesting as well so basically he said we're going to make paul our best offer will he have better offers i don't know and when you have full bird rights on a guy and you can offer five years that's notable yeah and obviously i mean a five-year 205 million dollar deal for the 32 year old Millsap would certainly be a bad contract by the end but he will in fact have other suitors as schlank realized and one of those we're, we're going to talk about pretty soon with the nuggets but i think that's a even if they lose Millsap, i think that's actually a great sign for the hawks that that is probably going to be his approach uh other news the sixers exercising their option for this year at the minimum on robert covington that was a hinky special the four-year deal at the minimum with some guaranteed money up front and then a fourth year team option on the end that was also non-guaranteed so they exercised that option they uh could still have him non-guaranteed they will of course guaranteed because he's an excellent player and this wasn't one of those ones because he already has four years of experience where it was a question of let's either make him a restricted free agent or keep him under contract really cheaply for another year uh he would have just been unrestricted had they not exercised it so this was pretty much a no-brainer uh what else we got the front office intrigue in milwaukee has led to another interesting decision because arturis karnasovas who was a finalist reportedly by Woj for the milwaukee job got promoted to general manager of his current team the denver nuggets who also promoted tim Connolly from general manager to president of basketball operations. Yeah, and it's interesting. We don't know whether Karnasovas would have actually been hired in Milwaukee or not. He reportedly withdrew from the process. Good job by his agent, Spencer Breaker at Kauffman Sports to get this promotion and presumably more money. Doesn't sound like he's necessarily got more responsibility, but he did well there. Now it still sounds like there's, it's been a fractious process for the Bucks ownership as far as who they want to hire. Uh, you know, obviously Justin Zanuck seems like kind of the last man standing with Wes Wilcox that was reported not as a uh, favored in that process as well so maybe what they're gonna do i mean i might consider this too is just like he's under contract right now hold down that interim tag on him until you find out what happens with david griffin in cleveland and then if griffin goes back all right justin zanuck you're elevated otherwise uh we'll uh see if we can get in the mix for david griffin i'm totally on board with that especially given the unusual timing with griffin's contract so might as well kind of play it by ear zanuck is already doing their draft prep so they can still use him in that role 
goal and then move on. The other piece of news that I thought was interesting, we don't need to, I don't think we need to go into the Jerry West thing too much, is from the Clippers. And so the Clippers are getting closer. It doesn't seem like it's all the way done to an agreement for an arena in Inglewood, which is in West LA. Yeah, they will have, uh, they're closing in on an exclusive negotiating agreement with the city of Inglewood. I'm not that up on exactly what that means, but certainly they're looking to do do that. Their lease, I think, at the Staples Center runs all the way to 2024. Maybe they can get out of that a, a little bit earlier. But when you consider that we're only seven years away from there now and all the crap you have to go through in California to try and get something built, especially because the uh, it sounds like the forum already in Inglewood and who has uh, is not happy about, you know, that's been basically like rebranded as like a concert venue. They're not happy about another arena being down there because that would presumably take a lot of their potential shows away. And so they're, I'm sure, going to try to do as much nimbyism as they can uh, as their statement indicated to uh, try and prevent this. So the fight's not over yet, but it's uh, just simply the fact that the Clippers really are trying to do this now. We know that for sure. There have just been whispers on this front, and that could affect some of their decisions in free agency, whether they're going to offer the full max to Chris Paul or Blake Griffin, whether they're going to offer no trades to Chris Paul or Blake Griffin. And if it seems like this team, if they feel like, hey, we need to keep having a good team here, even if it's not a true championship contender, just to kind of push the narrative for this new arena who knows whether that would have an impact or not what else we got something that was i don't know that i would necessarily say it was intriguing just because players can just kind of flitter around this but paul george said that his expectation is that he's going to be a pacer next season and that he doesn't plan to talk to lebron this summer that always can change that can change at the drop of a hat but to get that sort of an idea because for paul george there is a very real risk and for of course the pacers of him and playing this whole season with them because he is not eligible for a designated veteran extension right now he could theoretically be eligible for a designated veteran contract contract next summer but that's also when he can opt out and become an unrestricted free agent yeah i mean he basically uh, this is one of those ones where i would have liked to have actually heard the tape nate taylor was at a celebrity softball game and so it had some of these quotes where he said well i'm under contract with the pacers and my expectation is i'll be playing for them so i, I mean i don't put any stock into his ultimate destiny based on these comments either way here i think that's all we got in terms of news let's talk about uh one of both of our favorite up-and-coming squads the denver nuggets off season they have basically two cap scenarios here Danilo Gallinari uh, will opt out of his 16.1 million that he's owed they did a nice job of keeping him on the team for this long with the renegotiation and extension but now the time has come for him to get paid. His cap hold is about $22.6 million. If they keep his cap hold on the books as a means of using bird rights to re-sign him, and I, I would be surprised if he got a deal starting at more than what that cap hold is. You could maybe shave a little off that by signing him first to a little bit less than that cap hold. We'll see what the market is like for him. But with that cap hold on the books, $14.8 million in space, not really a ton. That also would include their... Uh, 14th overall draft pick that they have and the restricted free agent cap hold of Mason Plumley, which is $5.8 million. Or if they move on from Gallo, they could open up as much as $37.3 million in space with uh, Plumley still on the books as well. And some could see that as, you know, first of all, that is a lot of money that they can spend and that's a good thing. And you can also look at it and say, hey, a lot of the best players that Denver has drafted have been recent. And so a player that you draft recently 
recently is not going to be eligible for a big pay raise anytime soon. For example, Jamal Murray has another three seasons on a rookie scale deal. Wancho's the same, but they have two important guys that are going to get more expensive soon. One is Gary Harris. Gary Harris will be extension eligible this summer, so he'll be on the final year of his rookie scale deal. And then the other one is Nikola Jokic. Jokic has this structure that you talked about earlier with Robert Covington, but he has it with three years of experience. So what that means is if he has one more year on this minimum absolute bargain of a deal, but if they pick up his last year team option, then he is an unrestricted free agent in 2019. If they decline that, then he is a restricted free agent in 2018. And the most prominent example of this in recent time was Chandler Parsons. Chandler Parsons, the Rockets declined his option to make him a restricted free agent. And then he ended up leaving because he signed that offer sheet with Dallas and Houston didn't match. Yeah, but Jokic is a lot better than Parsons was at that point. And I think it's going to be a no-brainer for them to decline the team option and keep him as a restricted free agent and work out a long-term deal with him. Another option that they could have as well would just be simply renegotiating and extending him as well with some of the this cap space that they have. He's only been on the team for two years. So what you might see them do maybe would be exercise that option in conjunction with renegotiating and extending him. Um, rather than letting him get to restricted free agency, they could do that. Uh, they will not be able to renegotiate him until three years after he signed his contract. So he's already only been in the league for two years. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, you just, you cannot take the chance that he's going to leave. And, and I mean, he's almost good enough that whatever offer he would get in restricted free agency, they would just match it anyway. So you might as well just like send him into restricted free agency. It's just, it's not worth it to, especially in a place like Denver where your cap space is not worth that much to save money, keep him at the minimum for one more year, especially because he'll know that you could have given him a raise earlier and elected not to do so then he's really gonna be pissed off and he might be very interested in leaving so i would expect them to make him a restricted free agent next summer but so let's say they do that well and i want to mention one more thing he's young he's only 22 and so that can get confusing for people with european guys because sometimes they come over when they're much older so he is basically at the same age as a guy who went to college like for a year i think is about right for him and so you're not you're not sitting there worrying about oh we're gonna pay him into his 30s nope not at all you're gonna he's gonna be around his prime probably at the end of his next contract so but what's important to remember overall here is you know he's probably going to make if not the max close to it you know pencil him in for 25 million a year starting in the summer of 2018 gary harris will be extension eligible have to imagine you're looking at over 15 million dollars a year for him if not maybe even more than that as a two-way shooting guard who can defend one and two shoot the ball well so this is a team that is not very profitable does not draw well maybe that'll start to change but there it seems unlikely that they will be interested in paying the tax unless they take a very very significant leap forward with the players that they have and so they are a little constrained I mean, they have 56 million bucks or so under contract for next year and they could if they moved off of Kenneth Fareed's money then it would be even less than that Fareed's making 13 million over the next two years uh each year but if you think hey and and obviously Harris and and Jokic will have very small cap holds too so you could spend a bunch of money this year and a bunch of money next year in free agency but then you got to give these guys those raises and you're adding 45 million bucks maybe to that total so you're almost right at the cap and then you really only have another 20 million dollars to work with so I think even though they have this 37 million in space potentially if they move on from Gallo or he moves on from them 
if you're going to take on long-term salary, they either would have to move for Reed at some point, which he would be in the last year of his contract for 2018, or you just not spend all of that $37 million. I mean, my, my approach would obviously be if you have a guy that you really like that you can spend that $37 million on, you should probably do it and then just work out having to dump some guys later if you have to. You know, Darrell Arthur is another guy that they could maybe move on from at that point, but they may not see it that same. Yeah, when I, I did their offseason preview, I'm not sure if it's out yet. When I wrote the one for SI, I focused on this point of a team with potential can sometimes be the most dangerous time for a front office because you could be feeling pressure from a couple different directions and you just need to make sure that you that if you're going to spend money you spend it on the right people and that you're that you're judicious about it because it can go haywire really quickly you and i both love where denver is now we like a lot of their talent but they have to be they have to make this next step right because if they fall off here then the team gets expensive then you start having to figure out well what are we going to do with their other assets and so they can do this right and they've they've hit so many of the other kind of smaller things i like i've liked a lot of the moves that they've made and draft picks and they have a lot of good contracts on their books which is unusual for teams coming out of the summer of 2016 but that's that's more of like setting a good foundation now they just have to build they have to have the right plans to build on top of it yeah, and they've already, I mean, there definitely is pressure to make some money and get back to the playoffs, although you would think that some of these promotions in the front office at least indicate that these guys have some job security. So maybe they don't feel as much pressure there, but they definitely screwed up already with this Plumley trade by, you know, part of the reason for doing that was trying to weaken Portland and make make the playoffs this year. And obviously that didn't work and Plumley is not that good. And we'll talk about his free agency in, in particular as well. Uh, and by the way, this is yet another example of the more punitive luxury tax, like screwing over a smaller market team. Whereas like if this right. were a large market team, they would have no problem just spending all this cap space and dealing with it later. Um, I had so, some people on Twitter were like pushing back to me on that. And I'm like, no, like you, you're not right on that. Like wait until you see how much luxury tax the Warriors are going to pay. And then, or the Nets paid like, and tell me that like, it's some big break on like a good team keeping their team together or the Lakers or, or Clippers if they're ever good again. Um, but that makes Plumley and Gallo's free agencies very interesting because you're looking at it basically as a finite pool, right? There's a, a scenario under which if you re-sign Gallo, and then you bring Black back Plumley at what he's going to want. We can talk about what that number is going to be. Now you're almost kind of locked in to this team a little bit. And maybe you could move Fareed and you could move Arthur and you could open up a little bit more space that way. But to me, I think that Plumley and Gallo, I know Gallo is a good offensive player. He scored pretty well this year, but he's just not good enough defensively for what this team needs. I, I think this, we've said this many times, but if you're going to have Nikola Jokic as your center and you have to, because he's a wonderful offensive player. I mean, they, they were, they're numbers with Jokic in the lineup offensively are just absolutely insane like top two three level of offense type of team you just have to to me put almost all your resources now into finding players who can defend at the other positions and also just to have like a quality defensive backup center which I do not consider Plumley to be so considering all those limitations I mean, what are your offers going to be uh to Gallo and to uh to Mason Plumley? my bigger concern for Gallinari is is something that you, well beyond the injury issue that 
that you didn't right. focus as much on, and that's the timeline part of this. So Gallinari sure. is older than the rest of their core. So if you give him a longer contract, three years or more, he's going to be less helpful at that point, and he's going to cost more money unless they can front load this deal. So I would be less interested in him as the Nuggets than as some other teams. And this is where it gets into his big cap hold is that, you know, obviously you could renounce him and work within that realm if you really wanted to. That also might, I don't know, might hurt his feelings. Depends on the guy. Some guys like Nowitzki has been renounced a bunch of times. It didn't bother him at all. So I think with them, with Gallo, I would be thinking more in the like 10 to $13 million range. I could see another team offering him a little bit more. Oh yeah. No, if, no way he, no way he's interested in that. Right. Exactly. And so, and I, I mean, understand He just that. turned down 16 million. So he, he's right. expecting to get more than that. And he probably, he probably will. Actually, he looking at it really quickly, uh, I'm trying to look at who might be potential suitors for Gallo. You know, Brooklyn is one that that might come to mind. Houston, maybe if they move some things around a little bit. Indiana uh, could probably use someone like him. Uh, Miami, if they strike out on Gordon Hayward. Minnesota, I think he would be a nice fit there. Um, So he's going to have options for sure. Phoenix, he might he might help. Philly, his shooting could be useful. Sacramento, like he'll he'll definitely get get some offers. Probably not from good teams, but he'll get some offers. And then with Plumlee, another guy who expectations will be a big challenge because he was a starting center on a playoff team last season. And the fortunate part for Denver is that that only matters if it matters to other teams because they could come to an agreement with him before restricted free agency. That's possible. I think it's going to be harder to do that with him than most guys, but he could also very, very easily be left behind. A, because he's a restricted free agent, which is very, very dulling in this market because there are some good unrestricted guys. And because if they think that Denver's going to match, Denver just gave up a first round pick for this guy. Why are you going to tie up your cap space after you've already gone through the free agency process for a week for him? And so they can roll the dice. If I were them, I would I would almost definitely do that and just say, you know, hope that you maybe he, he really strikes out and is getting something more in the like seven to nine million dollar range than than eight figures. And I think that's very, really, very realistically possible. Yeah, to me. Especially because they already have Jokic too, remember? And this idea of playing those two guys together, I'm not a fan of. The numbers on that actually weren't bad last year, but I think in general, it's not the way the league is going. And it's really very difficult to expect that you're, you're going to stop anybody with Plumlee and, and Jokic in the lineup. I don't see Plumlee as a, a plus defender at the center position and certainly not at the power forward position. To me, he's like a $6 million a year player. I'm probably lower on him than just about anyone in the league as we've discussed. But like having him on the qualifying offer, which they have to, that's what everyone has to do if you're a new listener. When you make someone a restricted free agent, you have to offer them a one-year deal at a certain amount of money based on where they were in the draft. If they're a former first round pick, which probably was number 22 in the 2013 draft, you and and they can just accept that offer if they want to one year guaranteed. You know, I think for Plumlee, it'll be like five million bucks or something. I don't have exactly what the number is in front of me. And then, of course, he could be an unrestricted free agent at the end. Most unrestricted free agent or restricted free agents don't want to take that because it's only one year. You're taking a lot of injury risk, et cetera. He's going to be coming off the bench. I don't see his value increasing. I mean, and we got to remember about him, too. I think he's already 27. So it, there's I don't see him really getting much better, especially a guy who's relying a lot on athleticism, not a, a non-shooter. Yeah, so for Denver, if I could just get him on that one-year deal, okay, fine. You know, and there's so many centers to go around in the league. I think you can always find 
other one, especially because you want to have Jokic playing 30 to 35 minutes a game as well. The question is just they've already invested these resources in him. And, you know, they might think, hey, four years, 40 million, that's actually not that bad for him. But and we can play him a little bit with Jokic. You know, if he's like basically our backup big, we play him 25 minutes a game. That's not bad. But I think he's just not that good of a fit and he's not that good of a player. And so it's just, again, a question of the opportunity cost there. I think they can do better with $10 million than to bring him in, especially because they have a lot of other needs that I think they need to address, specifically that defense on the wing. They also don't have use it or lose it space. If they were where Detroit was last year, maybe you approach it that way because you say, hey, we're we're not going to be able to get anybody better than that. But they're going to have flexibility. So burning that flexibility on extra years for Mason Plumlee does not make sense to me. Yeah. Realistically, I think they might make something like a three-year, $20 million or $20 million a year offer to Gallo. And I think we could see something like a four for 40 deal for Plumlee. And Plumlee, like given all the money that everyone got last year and the fact that, as you mentioned, he was starting for Portland and he, oh, he averages so many assists. He's so such a good passer. Uh, puts he'd up be some getting less money stats. than Myers Leonard. I'm sure he'd love that. Less money than Myers Leonard, way less money than Mozgov. Like it definitely will be galling for him. I expect that even if they make that offer to him, that he, and he hasn't made much money in his career, obviously. You know, he's probably made maybe... 13, 14 million bucks in his career, if that maybe ends up just taking that deal realizing there's nothing better out there for him i don't know what team would be making him an offer as you alluded to but even then i mean he's going to be pissed off at that the offer is that low so we we mentioned that uh, we can also mention that they have mike miller non-guaranteed at 3.5 million his guarantee date is late july 12th maybe they could bring him back to the minimum i know they really like his culture i've related that story of him playing three on three and being a great influence when when we saw them at at oracle arena this year Uh, but he clearly not worth 3.5 million he barely plays they just kind of had that money last year because they were under the cap and they actually i mean that's another thing to consider too they could actually do that same thing that utah did because they're only right now at they've got like 10 million dollars in space that they're just under the cap this year that they could use to take on some money if they wanted to around the draft so miller i would expect that they would be gone they also have uh i said 14 i meant 13 uh 49 and 51 in this draft a guy that i think fits for them although he was not invited to the green room so it's looking like he's not going to get drafted this high is uh og Ananubi out of indiana coming off a torn acl but crazy like seven five wingspan very athletic can guard multiple positions not a total non-shooter pretty strong would just like i mean i don't know if he'd work out or not but just what he's supposed to be is exactly what they would need to, when this team is going to be good in a couple of years I like that. I've advocated before for them to try to trade up for Jonathan Isaac, and they have a lot of, well, I mean, we don't know where Isaac's going to go, but they have a lot of these kind of small assets that I could see other teams really enjoying, and so they could use some of those or take on some salary, you know, could go in some other directions. So yeah, 13, I think that's possible. It's not necessarily the most likely thing in the world, but another element that I think is going to be important for this season and, and the way that Denver can shape the rest of the league more is how they approach their holdover talent. And the biggest guy for me there is Wilson Chandler. So Wilson Chandler was, you know, he he was a part of this team. You know, he signed that renegotiation extension the same time as Gallo. And he's, you know, he's still there and they need to have a conversation with him about where, what he wants to do as a, as a free agent next summer, because if he's going to leave, I think you probably want to get something for him if you can get a good offer. And considering he is a legitimate three and D guy, the offer should be strong if someone, if he actually hits the market. I mean, he's not unbelievable at either of those things, but he's at least average at both. And that's still a pretty valuable player in today's league. And he's also really, especially if Gallo leaves and Gallo, I think even is more of a 
before these days he's really the only three like natural three that they have in their roster everyone else is either like too small and skinny or really more of a, a combo forward or a four this team is crazy though because even if you look at Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and Gary Harris as their three untouchable guys as their core the number of assets that they have on this team that could be traded to try and bring in something else or, or just to, to move because they don't fit it anymore Malik Beasley Emmanuel Moutier Wancho Hernan Gomez and I mean I like a lot of these guys for them to just keep Wancho in particular and I think even Moutier as well uh Wilson Chandler Will Barton who has said he wouldn't take an extension there probably wants to be traded which I would understand he's the f- in line to be the fourth guard and he's a pretty good score he wants to up his value and play more Darrell Arthur I think when he's healthy can still be a quality piece maybe a little bit overpaid though at eight million a year and then Kenneth Farid another guy who both those last two guys probably failed in an a test but all the others that above are, are really assets and, and you didn't include Jameer Nelson and Jameer Nelson on a one-year 4.7 million dollar contract if they if Denver wanted to go in a different direction for backup point guard if they see Jamal as a one he'd, he'd get an asset back on the market because there are going to be some bad backup point guard contracts this year yeah i I mean i still think that I wouldn't feel great about Jameer Nelson as my backup point guard, uh, even though my You and I both, but Malone, calibrating yeah. the market's different. Yeah, that's true too. So there's really a lot of things. Um, you could see these guys being thrown into some larger packages as well. Wilson Chandler, I mean, I think he could. you could expect to get a first-round pick back from him. They're now, they've used up all of their surplus first-rounders. They basically just have their own coming at, at this point. Barton probably doesn't get a first-rounder to me either. And I think a lot of this too is going to depend on how they start the year right if they get into the trade deadline and they're just kind of piddling around and they're not really in playoff position then yeah let's let's move on from Barton. and let's move on from wilson chandler if they're on track for the playoffs it becomes a lot more difficult to trade those guys even if as you said both in terms of their contract and age maybe they don't fit the timeline of this team as much but you can't have everybody just being 27 and in their prime all at once you know that's not necessarily realistic and beasley another guy i'm looking forward to watching him in summer league as well you know i think a guy who could maybe be a starting two in this league a couple years down the road and and a guy who they don't really have space for you know if they could make a trade for like the small forward version of what he is as a two guard although the small forward version of that is more valuable so probably not but yeah they they have a lot of ammo here and maybe someone like the type of guys that might be trying to do i mean there's there aren't really any obvious trade pieces that you would go after if you were them i mean paul george doesn't really make sense because uh he's just is probably not going to stay there but to me you try to make an offer for you know a chris middleton or or a Jay Crowder, or a Robert Covington, whom you know you could maybe reach an extension with, uh, because those guys you would have to just be creative and trade, try to trade for a guy who it doesn't look like necessarily would get traded, because it doesn't really make sense to just flip Wilson Chandler for another guy who's kind of running down to the end. I mean, there's there aren't any better versions of what Wilson Chandler does who are running down to the end of their contract than Wilson Chandler. So it's either you're going to go for future future assets and just continue to embrace the future and building or exclusively around Harris Jokic and Jamal Murray or you're going to just kind of hold on to these guys I don't know that there are players under contract on other teams for long enough where it makes sense to move 
guys like Beasley or Wancho uh, or Moutier uh, or even maybe Wilson Chandler Wilson Chandler seems like more likely you go for a draft pick but it's 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 very difficult uh, if you're a team like them to trade some of these young assets for guys who that you are veterans who also are under contract long enough who aren't bad contracts and are going to help you like that player doesn't really exist it doesn't. I hadn't considered this guy before our conversation now, but I would love to see them, if depending on how their money goes, make a bid for Rodney Hood. Hood is probably not going to be moved by Utah, but he's going to be one of their other guys that needs a pay raise. I think he could fit in well with, with what Denver needs and what they have. So Yeah, maybe, you know, if Hayward moves on, that, that actually yeah. might make some sense if Utah just decides we're going to go a little bit younger. The only problem with Hood is I think he's not quite what they're looking for defensively. True, but I think what you would want to pair him with is like a, a, another other guy who's a better defender but i think hood can defend the worst swingman that's not a problem so if you get that other sure. maybe maybe og ananobi works out somebody like that and then you use that person in that role and then you have him and then you get a you know a, a player who can weak side shot block at the four and you can you can really have something and the other guy i just because i can't control myself that i have to mention in terms of their assets is peter cornelly you you more than almost anybody know my my affection for french big men but i thought he actually had something at summer league last year yeah he looked good uh he is not impressed at all statistically in the French league this year. He's the number 53 pick in 2016, but maybe someone that they could bring over as well. They don't have a D league team though. So I would expect him to continue to get stashed free agents. Paul Millsap is the one who first comes to mind, especially with that news we talked about earlier with Atlanta, potentially not offering him a max. Would you offer Paul Millsap a four-year, $152 million contract? Were you the Denver Nuggets? Yes, I think I would. I wouldn't want to. <laughs> you know, that, that that would be on the upward bound. What would be amazing if they could pull it off would be a deal that started at his max and then dropped from there or was flat. That would be way better than having it go up, but that might not be realistic. So what Mills, Millsap brings to them is a lot of the things that Jokic lacks. So he can still space the floor. I think they would fit beautifully offensively, but Millsap is one of the best defensive fours in the entire league so he can weak side shot block he can rebound and all of a sudden then you you don't have to think about the uh, the nuggets as being this run and gun team that's just trying to win 125 to 122 now they can really start to beat people up yeah they if they got Millsap, they could be trying to win 125 to 119 <laughs> there we go that that's that's winning I mean, basketball right yeah. there I don't think he would fix their defense. I still think that they would need a little bit more there. It'd be interesting to see whether he could play with Hernan Gomez and they could play Hernan Gomez at the three. I think Hernan Gomez is probably still more of a four, but he's had some success a little bit more than I would have expected guarding threes. I don't know if he can do that on a full-time basis or not, but especially if they still had Chandler as well. And maybe I think really if they were go- if they got Millsap, the math could work there, but then they really would have to dump Fareed and Arthur at some point, And those guys become quite super superfluous as well once you've got Millsap and and the problem is Millsap's undersized not a great shooter so I I think you know his defense is the more attractive part and he's a good passer a good cutter you know has played in a, in a similar system in Atlanta to what they're trying to do here with, with all the passing bigs and a space floor so that's all great it's just man is that contract going to get bad by the end but you're going to say hey as long as you can say this contract isn't going to cost us any of our young guys that we eventually need to extend then you can feel okay about it i think and if they were able to get rid of farid 
it's probably too far in the future to say, you know, in the fourth year of that contract when he's making like 40 million a year that that's not going to impact their spending a little bit. And I mean, I I expect that he's like not even going to be a starter by that point, you know, so it's going to be some real negative value on the back end. But especially because they want to be good now, I think he's a quality pro, works well in the locker room, help diffuse some any tension there with all these kind of young, talented guys who are on this team. I think I would probably bite the bullet and make that offer myself. Another reason to support it is just that there aren't that many other guys that make sense for Denver to throw their money at. That's why I think you aim high and then aim low. I've used that approach for a series of teams this year because a lot, some there are some other guys that would be interesting there, but just aren't really going to consider them. Serge Ibaka would be awesome. He's I don't think he's going to consider Denver. But when you get down into the lower groups, those players are kind of there for a reason. And a lot of them are older. This is they're, The restricted market has a bunch of guys that I think would be fun on Denver, but you're not going to get a, really a value there because if you're getting a value, the other team's going to match. So like Taj Gibson, Pat Patterson, those types of guys, like you don't need them. You don't need them as much. So you go kind of go for Paul Millsap. And then yeah. the two guard and, market- and those guys are all redundant with what they have, I think, as right. well. I mean, Taj Gibson is basically like a center at this point. And he's, he's although he's not going to be making $40 million four years from now, if you sign him to a four-year deal, which you probably would, uh, again, if you're going to get someone to go to what's been an NBA backwater lately, you're going to have to overpay. I and mean, that's going to end up being a worse contract. And he doesn't really move the needle for you now either. I agree Quick with question that. here, Danny. Where else is, I mean, because I actually, I have a bet with Bontemps on whether Paul Millsap would get a max contract or not. I said that he would not. Where else, who else offers Paul Millsap a full max contract? We It already sounds like Atlanta's not going to. Who's offering that four-year max? Minnesota? Would Minnesota do it? Thibodeau Seems like has a very good chance yeah. of doing it. If another if another person ran their team, maybe not. I don't think New Orleans. He'd be a great sorry, fit not New there, Orleans, though. not Philly. I don't think Philly would though Millsap Sacramento probably not it seems like it's a little bit of a new era maybe Phoenix yeah that's a possibility that they would actually have to clear a little bit of space uh, as well same thing with Minnesota and they drafted a bunch of fours I mean depending on how people see Dragon Pender I could see them doing it though I mean they went after they went after LaMarcus he'd be a great fit in Miami as well Uh, Orlando has always had their eye on on him but they would have to move some stuff around uh, quite a bit Uh, poor Aaron Gordon if they do that yeah yeah the the Knicks probably you know they they need a point guard still by the way Derek Rose said today or PJ Armstrong said today that he Derek Rose really wants to stay there see whether that happens or not you know Brooklyn would have to move some things around to get to that full max of 35 million as well they I projected them at only 28 million in space right now I don't think Boston would be interested in Millsap at, at his age so there, it, there's not another obvious place that would offer him the full max if that's really what he wants. Maybe Denver could actually get him. And he has a connection with the area because of because he grew up spending time there. Let's say they can't get him. The names that stick out to me, Tabo Cephalosha and Tony Allen. I, I'm not interested in anyone who can't guard threes, uh, but those two guys certainly can. Uh, and I think you can get away even with Allen. He's a solid cutter. You can, you can get away with their uh, lack of shooting because you have so much of a space floor with Jokic and there's a, a lot of great cutting opportunities for those guys to make themselves available PJ Tucker a little bit more of a four than I would be thinking of. I mean really would like more of a pure three in terms of like the quick feet but certainly you know if you're starting him at the three he's not even I think like as good of a cutter and finisher as like Tony Allen would be uh Gerald Henderson if the Sixers for some reason which I don't think they will uh let him go he's non-guaranteed for nine million this year 
And then you just look at like maybe some bigs if they if it doesn't work out with Plumley. But there are not a lot of options of just even Luke and Bob Mute maybe would be another guy they could think about um, of just like pure defensive players at the three. And especially any of them that don't suck on defense. I highly doubt Andre Guadal would be willing to go back there, although he would be a, a wonderful fit. Uh, they would have to massively overpay there, but he could that could maybe be a leverage play. I don't think he really enjoyed his time in Denver, but that was a, a different regime and a different head coach. How would you like James Johnson there? Not great. I think they, they have enough fours to me already. I think Wancho needs to play. I think Wancho could even be better than James Johnson as soon as this year. You're going to have to overpay for him as well. He's 30. He can't be your, your defensive stopper on the perimeter. He's repeatedly failed in that role in his career. And they don't really have, they shouldn't have much interest in a straight two because they have so many other guys on roster. Yeah. If they still have just a ton of money after the first week, I could see them throwing a big offer sheet at KCP just because he'd be awesome next to Jamal Murray with the expectation that 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 Detroit's going to match. Yeah. Well, they already got Gary Harris. So it's like, basically a very but similar can you imagine? Player, and- oh, man. I, I just think, yeah, you're right. Gary Harris is good too. But, and and I, I, I'm i not envisioning him replacing Gary Harris. I'm just thinking you just wreck people. No, they, they could be, if they strike out as other guys, that you could maybe see them being like the team that gives out a Porter a max offer sheet Mm -hmm. if Gallo goes elsewhere but again Porter he's not good enough defensively for what they really need but what about about Colorado well I'm not sure he's alum because I don't know if he graduated Andre Robertson yeah you know what actually I should have put him in here because he is someone who I think would uh, fit uh, pretty well Um, and uh, especially because he can play as more of a four he's got some bounce he can like run some pick and roll as well uh, as the four with some more spacing around them Uh, yeah I think like he would definitely be some someone where i mean if only just to make okc feel the pain you know make make him a pretty big offer uh and, and you might get him you might get i him. totally believe that a robertson wancho Jokic frontcourt can work yeah there would be enough shooting and if jamal murray is your one man harris is your two you can get away with one non-shooter like robertson for sure and we don't have to see him just hang out in the corner and shoot threes off the side of the backcourt anymore by the way i, I don't know if you, have you listened to kd's podcast with simmons not yet I highly recommend it. It was, I think it was like the 103 mark. It's like an hour and 30 minutes. Uh, The 103 mark. KD finally really gave to me the most cogent like basketball explanation where he felt like I wanted to feel like it was what it was like to actually just try to beat my guy one-on-one and he talked about how most of the guys were like developing shooters or something like that and like so I was always going against one and a half guys there are guys that you were like willing to let shoot and I was like yeah as soon as he came here I was like yeah that's a big reason because you know Sam Presti I thought really kind of failed to just put the right uh environment around him uh so that was it, it was interesting to see you know i don't know whether kd is like puts the blame specifically on sam or or whoever but you know i thought that their roster really building around him uh you know could have been better we've no need to rehash that but i thought that was interesting and that's that's a good podcast worth worth listening to over the weekend if you haven't yet another guy who i actually think could be a pretty solid fit for them would be Serge Ibaka and if they just let Plumlee go I don't know it's I mean it seems like it's kind of fait accompli that he's going to go back to Toronto with a former Nuggets GM Masai Ujiri but he could start at the four next to Jokic provide some shot blocking and then just play your backup five as well now he he wouldn't be able to do all like kind of the passing and stuff maybe that Plumlee can do although if you put gave him some reps at that maybe it's possible he could get better at it but he at least could space the floor and protect the room I mean they just have nobody on this team who can block a shot and that's that was another reason why i was i mean Plumley is like an okay rim protector if he's in position but he's not scaring anybody and i think that would be the other thing that i really think 
think they need that I doubt they're going to go for because they just they have Plumley. But uh, someone who can protect the rim a little bit w- would be another uh, interesting option there. Uh, and and this is I'm probably going to talk myself out of this very quickly. But like, what about an offer sheet for Nerlens Noel on this team? I don't think you can play him and Jokic together. I think you defensively you can a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, w- with the lack of shooting, I mean his shooting is no worse than Plumley's. And defensively, it's a little better fit. But I mean, you're you're consigning him to have to guard on the perimeter, and that mutes some of his help defense. I, I agree; it's it's worth talking about. But I think you know, but like I think lower down, someone like a Jeff Withy would be a good fit here as a backup center. Like that's that's the especially since you have Jokic, like that's the level of guy I'd be talking about. And you could always play Fareed or Darrell Arthur at backup center sometimes too if you wanted just a more switchable lineup against a team that's not playing some great like post up backup center. Yeah, totally on board. Uh, let's get to Lowry Markkinen now. 20 years old, excelled at the youth level in FIBA play for Team Finland. Seven foot, 225 pounds, but I think he has a pretty nice frame uh, to where he could fill out to get a little bit stronger. Pretty short arms, though, and that's definitely a problem for him. But and the big appeal is just what an incredibly efficient shooter he is and a score overall. Uh, shot 42% on threes. He made more threes than any NCAA seven-footer since 2000. 64% uh, true shooting, and he also never turns it over. So he's just really, and he doesn't foul either. He's, he's just an extremely efficient player and that's really the appeal and i think he can be a very very solid offensive player he strikes me it's interesting because thinking about him i was kind of down on just like the concept of him and i watched his draft express video and before i really got into the film work with him and especially having just watched these conference finals and these finals you're like well this guy can't play in this series like why would anybody draft him and then it's like oh yeah there's 27 or 26 other teams in the league that could really use an offensive big man who can move his feet reasonably well and it's just the question of whether he can get to just like not completely sucking defensively and also a question of like what position he is defensively as well what are your initial impressions of him today he's going to make point guards very very happy because well i think that he is not as he won't attack switches in the same way that somebody like kevin love can or nicole Jokic. we just talked about him so he's on my brain a little bit but he's so good as a pick and pop guy and i was more impressed with his driving almost exclusively to his left, but I was more impressed with that than I remembered watching him at Arizona. And so I think that there's a way to use him offensively. I had the exact same thought in terms of, I don't know how this guy's going to play in an NBA finals. And then realized, how often are you drafting a guy outside the top five with that as being your primary goal? I mean, you're not drafting him to be your best player and that's fine. He doesn't have to be. And well, and not, I mean, we talk about this NBA finals, like this NBA finals featured like two of the five best offense of all time Mm -hmm. you know like these are just players who are totally unique and there are a ton of them there's so much shooting on the floor there's no guarantee that four years from now when the Warriors and Cavs have seeded to some of the other teams that it's going to be like this where just someone like you know a Kelly Olenek or or what Lowry Markkinen may be someday just like can't or even Kevin Love to some degree can't stay on the floor I mean Kevin Love stayed on the floor fine against like Boston for example you know and that we're going to see these lineups with just no players who don't shoot three-pointers on him, you know, that that may not be the case at, at the highest levels. I do think he can be a fabulous offensive player. Like, his pick and pop is great. He can come off a screen. He'll give you some numbers on his shooting 
in the pick and pop, he pops about 80% of the time, almost never rolled to the basket, but he played, I think, pretty much every minute with a traditional center, uh, either Ristich or Chance Comanche generally. So he didn't have like a space floor to really work with. That also was an issue for him when he tried to post up on switches. They just didn't have the spacing to get the ball into him. I think when he actually got the ball, I, I was pleased with what he was able to do. And he also, he fights hard in the post too on switches if they can get the space to lob it into him. Then, you know, this team was not exactly bristling with passers either, this Arizona team. So he like fights hard. He gets position. If you lob it into him, he's able to make some plays. I was actually pleasantly surprised with what he was able to do in the post. He's got nice touch with a left-handed and right-handed jump hook. Um, not a power guy who's going to go through people next uh, necessarily, but pretty solid. But for example, he had 40 points on... 33 possessions coming off screens and that's mostly for threes he shot 64 percent e field goal percentage coming off of screens and even if he's playing at the four that's a major problem uh he can go to either side as well come off screens to his right or left and shoot uh he you mentioned the drives to his left when he drives on closeouts he went left 36 times and right six times <laughs> so he definitely goes to his left but he can create a little bit of space with that shoulder and, and shoot a pull up going to his left you know not like gonna like an amazing driver or anything but enough that he can kind of get into the lane and take like kind of that one foot step across the lane and like find somebody else you know keep the spacing train moving or just go in for a dunk if he's wide open you know he's got some ability to go one-on-one i think he can he handled in four or five pick and rolls a little bit he i think if you just like had him iso out of the top of the floor against a, to, a traditional center he with his jump shot could be able to do that he was he was kind of underutilized on like isos and in the post not a surprise in college well so so a point i want to make on that is his jump shot is good enough that he is going to get aggressive closeouts and when you get aggressive closeouts those really basic dribble things actually work those don't work if the team isn't isn't is enthusiastic about closing out on you. This is an issue I've had sometimes with Aaron Gordon. But Lowry Markkinen, they're going to have to sell out because his he has a high release and he shoots it reasonably quickly. So that opens up space for himself. Yeah, and also you can talk about, you know, teams had some success switching on him. Like I said, I think part of that was due to the lack of spacing. But, you know, I don't know if he's going to just like, all right, I'm going to go one-on-one against these guys or post up right under the rim necessarily. I think he can be effective there. And he's, he's pretty composed with his ball skills. You know, he's not just like a stick. But the other thing is, if you're going to switch a 1-4 pick and roll, and now he's going to go stand in the corner for the rest of the possession, you want to have your point guard try to help on any other actions that are going on you got no chance of closing out on him because he is so big and he has such a, a high release and a quick release that he's just going to get a good look in that backside corner once you switch someone who's smaller on, onto him so that that's something as well that i think he can be really effective at um i think Again, like his footwork, the speed of his release, all, all of it is very encouraging. He's going to get compared to Dirk, obviously. I mean, I think he even in some ways has a faster release than Dirk Nowitzki and uh, shoots an easier ball from the three-point line. He's got plenty of NBA range, but he's not going to be the type of ISO player as Dirk is. Uh, not as fluid getting to the basket, not as athletic as young Nowitzki, not a grab-and-go guy at all. I don't think he really had any possessions of that. Not going to run the floor you know, and really do much getting to the rim as a guy running 
the lanes and transition we didn't see much of that from him either a few other notes on his offense he's got a very nice left hand overall uh he can dunk a little bit if he's in space but he definitely especially off of two feet he is a pretty limited athlete uh if he's got a body on him especially he's not really going to be able to to get up high doesn't get much extension uh but you know if he's got a smart guy on him that doesn't really matter when he gets his his jump hook uh he can kind of hit like short runners off the glass where it's not really a floater but not quite a layup you know just kind of from like the lane line areas running in and hitting like kind of a half floater half layup off the glass like he's got that shot a little bit um he has a, a few moves in the post he's got like a hook shot he's got a same side up and under uh, some try a couple of running hooks uh and, and i thought his passing he doesn't average a lot of passes but when they straight doubled him in the post i thought he made some pretty decent passes he's a will pass well with his left hand uh and can find the opposite big sometimes he threw a couple of nice passes when he was doubled to the weak side or, or nice skip passes when you know against zones so I, th- I don't think he's a great passer but i think he can be totally capable in that role and i think he'll get guys going back door every once in a while out of a dho i mean i think he can be a totally capable handler on a dho where then if you sell out to try to prevent that pass he can spin and and go to the basket and obviously you got to get up on him because he'll just shoot that ball um he definitely needs more of a turnaround jumper game in the post i'd like to again see him as more of an iso guy as well can he against a switch turn and face and just shoot right over the top of guys like that's what i really would like to see from him more than we got a chance to but i mean with his touch and how comfortable he is with the ball in his hands i think that's something that could potentially develop since i don't remember us mentioning it before he is 20 years old right now he just turned 20 yeah, so that's... so that right at the very beginning but yeah okay so but but that we can go into the the defense and my big concern with him is to use a phrase that you would deploy a lot more than i do he doesn't play with force no that's true and he doesn't have the the length to really i mean that's that's the problem only average 1.0 blocks per 40 which is pretty terrible i think he only had three blocks in conference play which is very very terrible on the defensive glass 17 percent defensive rebounds he was playing with the traditional center also had to guard got a lot of guys in the perimeter but you know he's in the film that i watch he never had a rebound that i would have considered an impressive rebound doesn't really pursue the ball out of his area can't really get much bounce off off of two feet i mean there's if you're going to get rebounds you're going to do it in one of three ways one is you just carve off so much space with your butt that you just control space and the ball falls to you uh, that's especially useful more i think more even on the offensive glass sometimes like that's what tristan thompson kevin love do or you can just have such good bounce that you can just like sky above everybody even if you're not a great box out guy he's not one of those guys and then the other thing you can do is you just pursue really hard out of your area and he's not that either so it's really difficult to see him being a plus as a rebounder that's not as important for fours as it used to be uh but you definitely see him just not able to contest effectively either at the rim he doesn't have great help instincts or even on switches as well i think it's his switching is interesting and his guarding on the premium he had to guard a lot of smaller players stretch fours and i thought he did an okay job of that like he actually has pretty good feet like if he sits down in a stance like you don't expect him to do it and then he sits down in a stance and all of a sudden you're like oh yeah that's actually like he's moving his feet pretty good here like he's staying in front of this guy but then the guy can pull up for over him at the free throw line and he just doesn't have the length to contest he's very similar to another guy you know skilled big i think he'll actually be a much better shooter than kelly Olenek, but that same problem 
problem where and he has better feet than kelly olenic too uh, but olenic has better help instincts and, and better ability to just be stay vertical at the rim than marketing has but he just cannot get a hand up to contest like there's a play where nigel williams goss who is not really an nba quality athlete just like kind of drove to the basket on him and marketing him cut him off and then goss just went up with like a pretty inartful shot and marketing like wasn't able to block it you know like those are the types of plays you see all the time from him but i do think his ability to move his feet is useful uh and i think that at least like he tried he's not like great at just getting in front of guys especially because a lot of times he's guarding shooters too so he just he's very few bigs can like crash in the lane and help and then like get back to shooters they're more, they can kind of do one or the other uh but I do think at least, you know, he kind of stunts towards guys. He's got active feet. He's engaged. You know, like, I, I think he's going to try. He's a, supposedly a great kid. was a great influence, you know, adjusted to being in the U.S., being in college extremely well. It's just that I, you know, it's, I don't ever see him being an average defender. I think he can maybe avoid being a liability in certain matchups. But you're definitely, if you're playing him, your plan is to kind of outscore people, I think. So I think the big question there is the player that we've discussed, and I think we're pretty pretty closely in line in terms of evaluating him in today's NBA what is that guy is he a starter on a good team is he a starter on a bad team is he a backup on a great team I, I, I'm more unsure of that part of it with him than with the analysis of what he is right now yeah oh one last thing to a couple of notes I had uh not very good defending in the post either the lack of length no. in this issue he, he can get ducked in uh not very good at like trying to front the post like if he tries to, like three quarter he doesn't get around he just ends up giving up like a straight line pass the guy for a layup uh so he's he's not playing him at center i don't think it's gonna work uh he's just i know he's seven foot but it, it it would be very difficult for me to see him holding up there in more than just a few minutes maybe on the second unit you could get away with it a little bit but even then i think he just it, it could be problematic i mean maybe you would you're maybe you'd probably be more likely to have him switch i mean he's better switching and guarding on the perimeter than i think he is doing some of the traditional big guy stuff but that's a bit of, of a concern maybe he can get better at that i mean he does have a pretty decent standing reach like he's tall you know maybe and he's got good feet so maybe he can just be a guy who can get his chest in front of guys and disrupt that way even if he's not like blocking shots but i mean yeah that shot blocking is like cody zeller for example who's never been a great shot blocker has short arms uh zeller is much faster than him like in transition but maybe he could be effective and kind of that same way as zeller just as a poor man's version of that but that is a rare bird to to be sure yeah i mean i i think he he's been talked about maybe as going to minnesota where i think he'd be a wonderful offensive fit uh he's sure as hell not helping their crappy defense but they would be completely unstoppable i think if he can develop into being a solid player and and you know does all the things that we saw him do in college i don't know i I mean i think it's reasonable to think about taking him towards the lower end of the top 10 it's just you're not i think he's going to be a a very solid offensive player he's probably going to be a guy who may be underrated because of how well the offense is going to run and how much space you have when you're playing him but he's not i don't see him as having superstar potential like i mean you basically would have to be dirk Nowitzki offensively to be a superstar with what his defensive limitations are going to be yeah it's it, it's really hard 
for me with with him because of the idea of center. And also, if you play him at center 99% of the time, I think the other team's just going to put their four on him because whoever you're going to play at power forward is going to be less formidable in terms of pick and pop and everything else like that. So you get into kind of the the next position yeah. up version of the Paul George problem. And right, and I don't see him. I don't see him being able to be that effective in the post against fours, even like modern day combo fours. I don't see him punishing those sorts of players. I think he's got to really get a switch to be effective, and I think he can be there. But yeah, it's. Uh, I agree with you on that, on that one for sure. That, that maybe they'll do that. But hey, you know, if you're uh, you still have to have the other team center guarding like you know someone else who in theory can shoot threes. So you're it helps. I think. I mean, and the level of spacing that he provides I mean, you still can force switches you can do a lot of stuff i mean he's a wonderful pick and pop player i mean like i can't remember the last college big guy i saw who was this good at pick and pop is there a particular team in the in the kind of eight to twelve range i can run through the through the squads Knicks. yeah yeah just to, re- to refresh people's memory yeah Knicks. i mean they have porzingis already doesn't seem like a great fit with him mavs king yeah I, oh, if all the i mean i think a lot of these teams need point guards first uh maybe if the kings have already picked up, up a point guard i think the wolves like it wouldn't be a terrible fit if i would rather have jonathan isaac for them i guess maybe the bigger question to me is i'm thinking of him as kind of in the same tier as like josh jackson and jason tatum uh completely different types of players obviously in that group yeah i I am i think uh just because like i know that he what he's going to be i know he's going to be a really good offensive player i mean i don't know that you never know but i strongly suspect that to be the case um whereas those guys i think they certainly have higher upside than marketing just because of what they their athleticism their fit in the modern game even though i question that for both those guys to some degree people are just like oh these guys are wings we want wings you know that's probably a little reductive you can go back and listen to our scouting reports on those guys uh, from earlier on uh, to hear more on why we're not as high on them as some by the way i mean what do you think of this whole like josh jackson could go like one or two that sounds to me like people who you know like i think when i when i read i think it was chad ford was the one who had that he basically said josh jackson is a danny ainge guy that's something by another gm or somebody like that that's very different from saying danny ainge is going to take him over Markel Fultz and I always am kind of skeptical of that sort of thing like yeah he, he does sound like a Danny Ainge guy but Markel Fultz is special in a way that I d- haven't seen from Josh Jackson but yeah and, so, uh, and Josh Jackson is just especially old for a freshman <laughs> that's, that's what's special about him yeah and he, he could be good but like we don't believe in his shooting we talked about it for a long time yeah but, in but our so I, breakdown so, of, of him so we have a difference of opinion in marketing not not in terms of evaluation as a player which I, I find fascinating we agree I think pretty similarly on that I have him below that kind of this the second tier or however we're defining it the the jackson isaac those kind of guys i have him in a tier with frank oh yeah i have him well below isaac yeah okay with with uh nilakina i have him i have Markin in there and then it's more beauties in the by eye of the beholder you know kind of between those whatever you need and that's that's how tiers work for me so the reason the reason being that his defense is a concern and i think that there's a chance that i think there's more of a chance that tatum in particular figures it out on offense than that marketing figures it out on defense yeah. if tatum if tatum becomes like a real quality three-point shooter which is not out of the realm of possibility i think he's got to rework his form we've heard reports of that shot it well from the foul line if he becomes a real quality three-point shooter then yeah i would probably put him at, at the top of that group as well but is it's yeah it's interesting i mean i i probably would take those guys over him but yeah i would have them kind of in the same tier tier and then uh Nilakina, yeah, again, maybe a little bit below some of these guys, but it, like I kind of I, I like Neil Keenan's fit a, a little bit 
bit more but you know he's also like is it really that useful to have a point guard who's like not that dynamic when you're picking in the top 10 like maybe not so uh but yeah, I mean, I'm not incredibly high on any of those guys. That's why, you know, I think I would I would have Dennis Smith above them. I'd probably have De'Aaron Fox above those guys as well. Jonathan Isaac above them. Like that would, my top five right now, I think, I haven't looked at Monk yet, so I'm deliberately not mentioning him, would be Fultz, Ball, Dennis Smith, Isaac, and probably Fox. Maybe switch Fox and Isaac. I'm not sure yet. But and and Smith, again, we with him in particular, got to make it clear that he is that evaluation is based on just what I see on film, the injuries, some of the character stuff. I just don't have access to that. I can't really, you know, include that cogently in my evaluation. I am deeply frustrated that our boards are so similar because they weren't last year and that was fun. But I, I, I've been seeing these guys in a similar way. I, I want to watch, I, if we're going to have the time, I don't, I don't think we're necessarily going to do a podcast on him, but I want to watch Zach Collins now. Watching Markkinen made me want to think about, okay, how are these guys similar? How are they different? What is Colin? I, I mean, I know they're very different as prospects, but Markkinen, because we just hadn't done any guys that were really like on the big side, you know, Isaac's kind of different. So now I'm like, oh, I want to see that because see, see him. He's kind of like the only other player in that range who's, who, who fits that bill but i don't think we need to do a podcast on him but yeah i'm getting i'm getting excited for this draft because it is a lot of that beauty is in the eye of the beholder circumstances and i think those are what lead to fun drafts and more importantly in some ways lead to good summer leagues and then rookie seasons because if you have players that are in a similar level teams are going to be especially at the high end of that tier they're going to pick the guy that fits the best with them that they like the most and so th- those guys will probably be put in very good situations all right i think that'll do it for today thanks so much for listening We'll be back Sunday nights. Going to hope to have Mike Schmitz on from Draft Express at some point next week. We got the draft as well. Then lots of, we still got to do Malik Monk and roll through some of these other off seasons as well. We still want to do a podcast as well on potential extension candidates now that the extension rules have been changed uh, for this off season. But uh, that is all to come. So stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you all next time.